Hello, and welcome to episode 177 of Relics of Ore. I'm your host, Grybok, and joining me this evening are my fine co-hosts, Spirit and Vrabin. How are you doing this evening, Vrabin? I'm doing pretty well, as always. I'm glad to be here and excited to talk about raids that I never do. <laughs> well, that's okay. We've only done it once, so you know you can you can give us sort of that fresh perspective, and we can still have the you know uh, sleepy, scared, you know, deer in the headlamp looks as you <laughs> as we try and head headlights headlights whatever. I think they might. You know, there's some pretty powerful headlamps nowadays. So they could they could get caught in those. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Anyway, uh, how are you doing this evening, Spirit? Um, I am also doing great and happy to be here. Um, I was sad we missed last week's recording because I was all of a sudden like last week I was like, oh yeah, things are, was it last week? I don't know. Things were busy. And then, uh, I was like, oh man, we didn't get to record the show this week. And then all of a sudden this week I was like, I need to say all these things. I need to it talk. Got worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, we were both sort of just unmotivated and there was really nothing new to talk about. And we had kind of had several weeks in a row of not having anything new to talk about, which we enjoyed those episodes, but we just sort of decided to bag it. And then two days later, it was the big, huge call in announcement, which we'll talk about in a second. <clears throat> and we were going to be starting rating the next week. And it was sort of like, well, we could do it on the weekend, but then we're going to immediately want to talk about raids and yeah so it's it's been more like a week and a half really so anyway it's good to be back so do you guys want to talk about the colin and, and reddit thing first since it happened first anyway sure yeah so presumably if you're listening to this you probably read reddit and things like that but in case you haven't colin johansson is leaving arena net on friendly terms but leaving nonetheless he's the game director and for all intents and purposes sort of the face of the game in a lot of ways i would say mm -hmm. so that's sad for us as a community i think i think he's been a very good spokesperson and a very positive force so i think we're all gonna i think we're all gonna miss him a lot but sort of to i don't know if you would say allay concerns but maybe as sort of a give something back while you're also delivering some bad news the studio decided to do a massive ama on reddit and answer a huge variety of questions about a huge variety of topics with 20 or 30 different devs there which we will provide the link in the show notes wow um, i didn't know there's that many oh there were a ton yeah there were a ton that we're answering throughout the thread so um yeah i mean there was a lot of interesting stuff was there anything that stood out to either of you guys that you think is worth discussing or mentioning or Oh man, there was a lot of stuff in there. I I thought it was interesting to get numbers on dev teams and know that there were split into teams. And there was a lot of openness on things that um, maybe we speculated on the show and always wondered why you know they couldn't just tell us these things. Um, that, that was probably one of the most interesting things to me. But uh, so I think the worldview world stuff was also pretty cool to you know get a little bit clued in on what's going to be happening with those changes. Yeah, yeah, and to speak with specifics about the numbers, I think they said there are 70 devs currently working on the next expansion, which I don't know if we actually had confirmation that there was officially a next expansion being worked on yet. I think we all sort of assumed that there would be after their talk of progressing things like masteries and elite specializations in, mm -hmm. in future expansions or whatever, but I don't know that we had official confirmation that one was being actively worked on, and then there's uh, 120 or so that are working on all sorts of live issues, which, you know, like you said, we just don't get that kind of specificity ever, really, from ArenaNet or any company, really. 
it's I can't think of a single company that's ever told you the exact employee breakdown or even a close approximation of how many people are working on what content. So that was... yeah, I guess they finally noticed that you know people have been speculating for a long time. So they're like, okay, we can give those numbers. I guess I don't know. And it was also kind of interesting that they uh, mentioned that the dungeon nerf was not necessarily necessary. Yeah, Spirit, do you have which feelings do you have on that? I'm sure you have some. Um the the fact that they they're considering relooking at dungeon rewards, which is unexpected to me. I think I think uh it was pure shock basically and I hadn't thought any more about it after that. Uh because I sort of expected them to really I mean, I, th- I thought that was their intent, is to to make it so that dungeons were not played anymore. I mean, they, they exist as content. You could play them for fun. You could play them for tokens, whatever. Um, but I think it's nice and unexpected that they are considering looking at them again in order to make them worth running. Because it has been um, a big gap in what Guild Wars 2 offers. There's sort of serious 5- and 10-man content, but not sort of relaxed five and five and or ten man content um which is a shame because i didn't you know i've always liked dungeons but i didn't realize how much of my game time i really just enjoyed um getting together with five people and hanging out on mumble and saying hey let's do you know some random dungeons they're kind of kind of brainless but also still a little bit engaging and fun to do with five people and it's a lot easier to get a group of five people together, first of all, um, and also to carry uh, people who aren't doing so well in in dungeons or teach a new dungeon to new people. And that um, they're a lot more inclusive than sort of fractals or raids. So I've, I've really missed that. And I hope um, tweaking the dungeon rewards will bring me back to dungeons a little bit. I'm sure it'll bring other people back, which means I will probably go back because I'd never say no when people ask me to do stuff. Um, yeah, really. I, I agree because if we if they tweak it back and it's a source of gold and people are doing it, I might actually get my uh, is it Dungeoneer that, that elusive title where yeah. you get all the skins. Yeah, I've got mine already. So the like the desire to play dungeons for dungeons themselves is not there for me, no matter how what they do to gold or tokens. It probably uh, my drive to do dungeons will not go super back to the place that it used to be, but um, it would be nice to have the option. Yeah, and like you said as well, it's it's more inclusive, and although Fractals are also five-man content, there's a lot of people who just don't have the Ascended gear and or don't have the infusions, and it's pretty tiresome to run somebody else through a million really low-level Fractals that are very unrewarding so that they can get the infusions to then do the higher-level Fractals which would sort of be equivalent in reward to what dungeons used to be, but then have that gear check. So yeah, I think that was a big, I think that was a big loss of, uh, content. Yeah. Just a good play avenue for people. Yeah. Because like you said, it's, you can go in and do something that's sort of brain dead, but also structured. You don't really very often group up five people and say, let's go do open world content and hope that we find something fun because it's too unreliable and not necessarily rewarding. And I'm not talking about if you're doing, say, map meta events, but I mean just just general exploring around. Like, you're not on a timer, you're just going somewhere. Where dungeons really did, they filled that niche and, and they're gone. So 
like you said, it's I think that shocks a lot of people that they're even considering undoing that change. Uh, I think it's good. I, I hope they do. I hope they undo it. I think that perhaps, I, and I don't remember exactly if they said this or if it's just sort of reading into it, but just them sort of saying that really they're just not working on dungeons ever again and that maybe the intent was to just get people to stop expecting there to be future content and the way that they thought that would the, the way they thought would be a good way to communicate that would be to take it out of contention as something that's valuable to do and so maybe with the thought that if it's not valuable to do it nobody will want us to update it or fix it because we're not going to but i think that's really like punitive if they remove the gold nerf and if that's going if it becomes you know a good gold farm again what effect is that going to have fractals because fractals is kind of the gold nerf slash everyone does the dailies and then they're done well cuz they they are sort of working out something on fractals too and i don't know how much yeah. details we have but they said that they don't like swamps of the mist as it's so lovingly or perhaps not lovingly called um so we don't know exactly what the shakeup they're going to do for that is either. i also thought it was interesting that they mentioned that the uh, ascended item drop rate may be too low in fractals i'm all for that going up yeah, it's kind of funny because I remember a month or so ago, Spirit and I both were talking about Fractal Rewards, and both of us were sort of saying, oh yeah, I've been getting about one a week on average, maybe one every 10 days, and both of us are basically on a month dry spell after that episode, wow. where we just I got something for the first time maybe three days ago, after having done it every day for about three or four weeks since that episode. I have so, not broken my dry spell. Ugh, it's really bad right now. Yeah, yeah, I haven't gotten anything in a while either. I don't think I've been doing them every day, but I did get probably I got four pieces real quick. I don't know if it was once a week or whatever, but four pieces, and then I haven't gotten anything in probably almost three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I hope they tweak it to make it a little bit more rewarding, especially if they discourage Swamps of the Mists, because... For me, sort of coming at it from the same perspective of, of dungeons, of something that's sort of quick and easy to do, swamps are boring, but also predictable, and predictable time commitment is a big thing for me. I I have a hard time committing to something if I don't know how long it's going to take, and I just don't like some of the longer fractals, especially at really high tiers, it, just in general, and so... If they do go to some sort of a more set rotation, then there's some of those I probably just won't bother with. And I yeah. I hope they don't go back to completely random. I don't think they will. On the flip side of that, it is usually, in my experience, easier to pug fractals than other content. Because when you get to those higher levels especially, you know someone's done it at least that many times. And usually people who haven't stay out of the queue. So, uh, You'd think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> I don't know, that's been mostly my experience. No, I know, I'm just uh, I'm just sort of kidding. But, gosh, was there anything else from the AMA that was a huge point? Oh, I know one. Living Story is not coming back until at least June, it sounds like. But they mm. stated it'll be after the, uh, the the Raid Wing and the World v. World, or just after the World v. World update? Let's um, see if I can find it here. We'll start after the third Raid Wing. I'm checking real quick. Yeah, I think it'll be after the Raid Wing and the changes to World v. World, because they're focused on World v. World right now. 
Yeah, so let's see. So further on, we'll launch the next Raid Wing in May or June, and then Living World will... And then Living World and the next quarterly update. So that would say May or June at the earliest, basically, because that's when the Raid Wing is coming out, and then it's after that. So that's disappointing to some, I think. Perhaps to many that aren't in the Raid crowd. I know that the Living World is a big draw for people that... Not necessarily to stay logged in, but to keep logging in. Uh, at least that's at least that's what I found in my experiences. That Living World was a good catalyst for a lot of people, especially in a smaller guild, to all get on in semi regular intervals. And June will have been about nine months after Heart of Thorns released, which mm. is quite a while uh, to yeah. not have story content moving forward. And if you're not a raider, or if your guild is frustrated with raids um shot no (laughs) is uh you know frustrated with raids or whatever that's that's sort of a pretty long pretty long dry spell for that i mean they can't work on everything all at once though so did you have something you want to say spirit no just i mean you you hit pretty much exactly the point that nine months is is longer than it should have been left i in you know in my opinion i you know even though i really do like the rating um, and I've got reasons to log on. Um, it's not for everyone, certainly. And they by design, even. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I think there's a. I don't really like to indulge the whiny threads on Reddit, but there was. I mean, it's a valid point that if if you do not like um, organized PvP or you do not like raids, there hasn't been much for you since Heart of Florence has come out, and it's been long enough that they should start getting they should have stuff now or just be about to get it um so that's a little bit disappointing because uh given last year's complete dry spell uh it's not much better (laughs) so far um unfortunately yeah i mean some things are better i mean the the definitely like the communication is there that things are coming they've got concrete plans that they like we're gonna have quarterly updates and things are coming in those updates but uh it's still not playable which is i think what counts for most people which is also sort of disappointing given that at the beginning of the year colin had that big state of the game you know this is what we're going to be doing we're going to be having these big quarterly updates and these are the types of things you can expect and here we are at the end of the first quarter and one of the big ones for people living world isn't coming back until the next quarter at the earliest Uh, that's that's a pretty big air quote delay uh, from what I think a lot of people were expecting. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge point uh, for them. I'm sure for player retention and that type of thing. But also I, I do think it's worth pointing out in case people also miss this with regards to the number of members, the raids team was only like a half dozen people. So, you know, it's not like they're diverting a huge amount of company resources towards raids. The fact that raids are coming out is not forestalling Living Story. At least that's my perception. So, you know, don't get your pitchforks out for the raider folk. Like, they're... What What did you guys think about that legendary team? <laughs> Spirit? Uh, I didn't really read much about the legendaries, to be honest. I was really interested in the raiding stuff. Well, they've said that they're working on legendaries, there's no estimation, but the remaining 13 weapon types, so underwater weapons, I guess, are kind of cast out of that. 
yep. are in various stages of concept modeling and design, which I thought was kind of funny because wasn't that supposed to be part of Hot? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people that are really harping on things that were part of Hot and aren't done yet. For me, I feel like the fact that we knew that there were, like, so when they first announced it, they said that we were getting new legendaries, which everybody was all woo, yay, exciting. But we also knew not too long after that, that there were only going to be three at release, which sort of signed to me at that point that they would be coming out in a drip feed. You know, they're not just going to do three and then release 10 immediately after that. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) they, they wouldn't, there wouldn't be any point in that if they were all ready. So to me, it's matching up with expectations that they're not all done yet. It's disappointing that, you know, here we are five months after heart of thorns and we still haven't gotten the second batch. And it sounds like the second batch is, going to be mace and shortbow which yeah that's what they indicated would be worked on next or brought to next right which so i'm not gonna say that it's bad that it's mace and shortbow per se because i'm sure that there are people that like those weapons i don't personally use them all like i don't begrudge anybody for getting their legendary weapon type of choice before i do it's still sort of disappointing if you aren't getting any of the first ones and you're not getting the second ones and the third ones are not even listed on the horizon. So it's not really a surprise to me that that they're still being worked on and coming out, but I wish that we had a little bit more concrete info than that. I would wager, though, that the major delay is uh, the collection aspect rather than the art aspect. Maybe not. I don't know. But it seems like that takes a lot of takes a lot of work and forethought to do the collections uh whereas you know the other ones are are a single skin i mean it's a good skin but yeah i don't know yeah i I just don't see and i don't i'm not a game developer maybe aspiring but not real that i don't see how long why it should take so long to make them i would think maybe you know two weeks do the art figure out a thing especially if you've got people that have already done the collection but i don't know maybe i'm being hypercritical well i mean that's the thing though is like does the collection come first or does the art come first? I would wager that the art comes first, probably. I have no idea how long it takes them to do a collection and to verify it and to come up with something interesting and potentially thematic for the precursor, especially because they had to do it for all of the old ones, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea how long that would take or how many how many developers are specialized in that area of content it's somebody had a great quote which i've seen thrown around in software a lot which is that you know one woman can make a baby in nine months and nine women can make nine babies in nine months but nine women can't make one baby in one month (laughs) so like as sort of a software development like throwing more people at it can produce more things but it can't necessarily produce something quicker or with very greatly diminishing returns. So, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the kind of stuff that we're... And no one wants a baby that's been made in eight months. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little sad. I sort of have been stockpiling for a legendary on the hope that I like one of the new ones, and if not, my fallback's going to be Astralaria. So, um, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah, I, f- I feel bad for the World v. World folks, though, because I feel that they feel that they are very neglected, and I don't really blame them. I haven't touched World v. World since the last World v. World tournament, to be honest. Wow, that's a long time ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hear it's pretty dried up. Either you guys uh, do much? Um, well... I think it was really dead when... Sorry to cut you off, Spirit. I think it was really dead when um, Hot came out. But it's starting to pick up a little more. You're starting to see, at least on NSP, some of the old commanders come back and do things. Um, people have, you know, gotten to know the map, so there's more people there. They're less reluctant to, you know, be in a map they don't know. Um, I still kind of miss the Alpine Borderlands, but getting used to a new map is, you know, interesting. And, you know, the I like the shrine aspect where you've got lava or dust or, what's the third one, wind. And... Yeah, but it it, it does, is it neglected? I don't know. It doesn't feel that neglected. I do dailies there, so I don't know. Uh, Spirit, Robin, myself, Hunter, and Eric flipped an entire Borderlands by ourselves one night. Like, well, that was so also in the middle of the night, but it was in the middle of the night. I I will see that point, but there was nobody fighting us for them. <laughs> well, it was also who we were against. It was like it wasn't Emery Bay. It was a really bad server too, though. You gotta put that in. Hey, okay. there are no bad servers. Okay, it was a I server that did not participate face. very much in Guild Wars. In yeah. World of World, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, was I think like that Dark there's... Haven? I don't remember what it was. I think that there's... But I did not expect cha- any resistance, so I'm just, just going to put that out there. Yeah, I think there's challenges with World v. World in that the rewards in the game, especially with the fact that Ascended Gear does carry over into World v. World, and World v. World is just simply not a viable way to make money or to earn Ascended Gear, for the most part. So I can understand people frustrated with that aspect of it. And then, you know, I, I don't know... Ex- yeah, I, I honestly don't know enough about World v. World to make an educated comment yeah, about it, you can other really, than that I know that people have been frustrated with it for a long time. You can really bring in the whole same Ascended thing that we gripe about. Not same, but we gripe about the Ascended armor because it's so hard to get. And it's silly that, you know, it's... Best thing in World v. World, and you know, it takes so much because those stats carry over to World v. World. It right. takes so much to make. It gives it such a clear advantage if you're going against someone. Because if you have someone with equal skill level, obviously the person with more stats is going to win. But it's so hard to attain, and you know, like you said, not attainable in World v. World. And then you've got the infusion side where you can put World v. World infusions in your armor, which is great. But then it's stuck for World v. World. What if you want to do raiding? I mean, not raiding. Uh, fractals. Yeah. It's, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's a little better now that we've got the extractors that came with the fractal updates. So you yeah. can at least you can switch it out. But then that, that would really add up, depending on how often you're going back and forth between fractals and World 2 Worlds. So. Which it still frustrates me to no end that there's no rune and sigil extractors, except for from the mm-hmm. gem store. Like, that's the kind of gem store item that I find to be kind of abhorrent. I just, yeah, I don't know. They're... Especially with how expensive runes and sigils are, just in general. Um, that's just a pet peeve of mine, though, I guess. Especially having converted several Ascended pieces recently for the purposes of raiding, and having to rebuy, you know, runes, runes of, of the, runes of strength oh, and no. sigils of force and malice and like, yeah, all that, all that air quote fun stuff. Uh, not fun. You know, it'd be nice if we got uh, legendary sigils and runes where you can just drop down and select the sigil uh, or rune of your want if you've unlocked it or something. That'd be really cool. Yeah, but then how would you get it out if you needed to like move it to a different character? 
make it so they pop out the extract automatically when you change it. I don't know. It's some <laughs> way to change that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, there, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of information in there. Way more than we can talk about in one episode. And we'll put some a couple of different summaries slash compilations of responses and questions in the show notes. So unless you guys had anything else you want to talk about with regard to that, I think it's probably time to talk to talk about our other sort of main development, which is Salvation Pass. I'm just going to skim the thing one more time and see if there's anything that was really extra super worth talking about with all of those adjectives involved. What do you guys think about the suggested changes to Hot to make it more soloable? Soloable. Spirit. Was that in you... regards to the original post? Yeah, um, it says that it wasn't intention to make hot maps push for more group area play than solo play, and they will keep trying to make maps for great both free form and exploration exploration groups. I think this kind of speaks to uh, adventures and perhaps other things like what are the Itzel and Newhawk champions that are not accessible the whole time. But maybe it's broader than that, and maybe making uh, what is it events scale better so a single person can actually complete them. Because it kind of sucks if you're on a map and you're trying to get something and it's locked behind events, but you can't do them by yourself. Mm. Yeah, Spirit, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I could probably talk forever about that also, and I don't <laughs> want to just talk the whole episode and take away anything that you had to say. Uh, not really. I mean, I just, I generally haven't had a hard time uh, with events. Like, other than, there, obviously there are some outlier events that really, like, scale up and are impossible to complete by yourselves. I can think of a few of them. I haven't had a problem where I've been in a map and I haven't had either a collection of non-partied individuals or a friend or two with me. Like I just I haven't had that experience. I haven't been or felt like I cannot achieve anything solo. Um I've definitely been frustrated when um I have to spend like 2 hours in Dragon Stand to get the thing at the end or uh, yeah, it, th- things like that basically. Uh, so the the big meta events being at specific times tend to be my my bigger bugbear than solo stuff. Yeah, well, they sort of talked about that as well. Both uh, just looking at the summary that playing to make hot content rewarding to play in a variety of playstyles, and also some improvements to obtaining new hot gear in the April quarterly release. So potentially that's talking about rebalancing some of the rewards away from those two-hour meta events, ideally. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, yay. I guess we'll just see when it happens. Yeah. I mean, I know that, for me, the the two-hour cycle is... It's cool in Dragon Stand when you go through this huge event, but the fact... The way that mega servers interact and the way that taxiing works makes it so that you have to be there the entire time. And yeah, it can, it can make it very difficult to get in on some of those things and sort of annoying if you're trying to farm up the map currencies, because for the most part you get the biggest reward for being there at the very end, but having done a bunch of events, but if you get disconnected or you have to leave any time before that end, you get pretty much nothing for doing 90% of the same amount of work. So Mm. I would hope that they, address that some in this patch, maybe distribute some of the map specific, both ascended currencies and the map currencies. So Aurelium and uh, what are the dust from that map? Is it Auric? Yeah. Dust, yeah. Yeah. 
Like maybe, hope, I mean, I would love it if they had a little bit of sprinkling so that you don't have to be there for the AB meta for like to be the only way to earn both of those currencies. So, you know, we can keep our fingers crossed. I think it would help a lot of people for sure. Because there's a lot of very casual well, players in Guild Wars 2. And I don't yeah, mean so that. so get rid of some of the time commitment. Yeah. like the, Or like the time, the schedule commitment almost more than anything. Like, because mm-hmm. maybe you can commit an hour, but you can't commit the right hour. That's that's pretty, you know, frustrating, I would imagine. Slash, I have been frustrated by that, so I don't have to imagine, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's... I think what okay so what do you think about how do you feel about spending dev resources on that versus pumping out more like living world and or expansion faster do you think it's good to go back and I mean it's sort of like the dungeon discussion do you think it's good to go back and sort of patch up some of these mistakes that they made or would it be better to get newer content faster I think it's I think it's good. I mean, it's kind of a good quality of life thing, really. I guess it depends on, like, it would depend on me for like completely unknown quantity, like things we will never know. They will never say to us in an AMA or anything. Like how how far it moved it back, how much time they actually spent doing these reworks, what the reworks actually are. Um, I mean, in in theory. Uh, I don't mind that they've gone back, and especially because I think with the way um, sort of their their pay model, and I, I'm not 100% on this, I would have to check, um, but from memory, their sort of model with Guild Wars going forward is that um, only the newest expansion is pay to play, and so if you buy the newest expansion, um, you will have access to that content, but also when the newest expansion comes out, um, the Heart of Thorns content may be going free-to-play, if I remember that correctly. Um, which I think would be a great thing, uh, not only because it can bring back free-to-play players who may have left because they don't want to buy Heart of Thorns, um, it will keep the Heart of Thorns maps busy when everybody else sort of moves on because there will be a group of players that have not played that before and will be able to go there. Um, and I think for a game that is predicated on having large groups of people in maps at all times, um, as many people as possible in maps at all times, and keeping them populated and keeping the maps moving through people power. Um, I think it it would definitely be worth it in that case. If there are tons of new people who are, are about to see that content, then sure. But if it, I mean, if Within it's just going to go to waste, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously nobody would argue that you know putting off an expansion and new content indefinitely would be worth it but i i think you're right and i i do know that at least on the blog post they said i don't remember the exact phrasing but essentially you'll only ever have to buy the newest expansion you won't have to buy the subsequent expansions now whether that means that when x-pack 2 comes out heart of thorns would be free to play or if it would mean that if you bought the new expansion but didn't have Heart of Thorns, Heart of Thorns would be included. I don't know that yeah, they ever so commented unclear. on the distinction. But mm-hmm. either way, it's still going to be the same thing. Like, if you skipped Heart of Thorns, I have some friends that could probably be convinced to come back, you know, whenever Theoretical Expansion 2 launches, just because they miss the Heart of Thorns boat and they don't necessarily have the impetus to do it right now. But sort of getting a two-for-one combo pack would 
probably convince them to come back. So I, you know, there's, I feel like there'd probably be a moderate number of people that would do that as well. And I think it really helps, it helps you wait out the inevitable dry spell that there will be for the next expansion if everything is actually fun or not, not frustrating or not. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's a good, a good trade off within reason, obviously, because we're going to be playing hot for a while, you know, until the next expansion comes out. And even if it delays it a couple months or something like, and, and we don't know, like you said, there's too many factors that we'll never know, but even if it delays it a couple months, we're going to be playing heart of thorns content for way longer than that either way. So I would rather it be better and, and not frustrating. So I think it's good that they're doing it. Yeah. So speaking of heart of thorns content, Slothosaur, Salvation <laughs> Pass. Ah! It's my uh, time. Spoiler warning: uh, the raid does have story elements. I don't know how many we're going to talk about, but um, but if sorry. if it bothers you, maybe think about it. <laughs> yes, I would also like to say if you have not there, if you care about raid story, uh, if you care about Guild Wars Two lore. There are potential spoilers in a lot of places right now, um, including the guild decoration vendor, the guild tab for where the decorations live, um, the raid vendor, and all over Reddit, because there is a cutscene at the end, and the names of the weapons and the names of the items uh, indicate very clearly where they come from, and if you don't want that knowledge, you might want to be very careful about where you look at things over the next sort of couple of weeks or until you can complete it or whenever you decide that you would like Completing to see Completing Raid Wing 1 or Complaints Off Slothsaw. Raid Wing 2. Too um, much more than one, for sure. Too much yes. more than one. Yeah. Uh, there's a painterly cutscene at the end of Raid Wing 2 that has some very, very juicy details that we, I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, but not for a few weeks. You guys have a chance to do that on your own terms if you want to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just so you have that knowledge that it, it is out there. We will not be talking about it today, but Probably. Um, be be wary of things. Anyway, I'm good. I just wanted to say that because everyone was like, Spirit, don't look at anything at all as spoilers. And I was like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, the, yeah, we don't know exactly what we're going to go over today. I think all of us on the show, well, maybe not for Evan, but at least Spirit and I both definitely know what the spoilers are. I want you guys to spoil everything for me. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm not saying that we're going to spoil everything necessarily, but that spoilers are a potential depending on the significance of your spoiler sensitivity. Let's put it that way. For me personally, it's not the kind of spoiler that bothers me, but I know that everybody has different tolerance levels for spoilers. It's actually kind of funny. I was talking to Spirit and Raven before the show. I've been really getting amped up for Dark Souls 3, which comes out in about a month, and holy god you guys the dark souls community has the biggest stick up their rear ends about spoilers (laughs) like i can't even tell you how paranoid they are about spoilers like to the degree like a weapon description they will get mad that you spoiled it like not not like a special weapon like the description of a longsword like for real it is long and sharp no, like, I mean, you know, like, it's it's so funny. And that, like, they'll get really mad about, like, the name of a boss being spoiled. Like, even if it's not, I mean, you know, obviously there's certain bosses that 
you know, if you spoil the name of it, it would be a huge deal. Like if it was, you know, a character that betrays you and you don't know that they're a boss, obviously I can understand why that's a spoiler. But like, you know, Lieutenant Gundir Hoffelpants, like <laughs> no name bad guy, like, oh my god, the spoilers, I'm so upset. Okay. So Whoa. like if there was a boss that was named after some, you know, strong bad reference, they'd they'd be mad because you spoiled it. Yeah, they would be yeah, it's it's <laughs> so anyway. And that's fine. That's their prerogative, but I'm just trying to illustrate that everybody has different degrees to which they consider something a spoiler. So be warned, there might Notice be some spoilers. Notice that's mad instead of angry. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Strong mad. Anyway, so, Raid Wing 2. Uh, Spirit, do you want to you wanna lead the discussion on this one, since you are the more hardcore raider? Um... So where do you want me to start? Should we just talk about Slothosaur? I just Wherever want, you want to start. I want to know, because I'm in a weird place where I'm gearing for raids, but I'm not participating in raids, so it's kind of fun to live vicariously through my other guild members. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I can talk... Uh, let me talk a bit about Slothosaur's mechanics, and then we can talk about how that fits into raids in general. Um, so Slothosaur, as you might expect, is a giant sloth, and he's actually really cool. <laughs> He's super cute. You walk up to him, he's sleeping, and you're like, oh, what's he doing there? And then you touch a magic mushroom and go on a nasty mushroom trip, and then one of your friends turns hostile, and then you epidemic them, and they all die. Grybok! Hey, I did not have epidemic on my bar. It was not me. You blamed me for a startling number of things that I couldn't have physically done last night. Like, it was pretty funny. I was the go-to blame guy. I see. I see how you badmouth me in the in like Trivco. Clearly, like I don't invite Grybok. He kills me all the time. Impossibly. Yeah. So the um the the sort of main mechanic of the fight is the the room is covered in poison, and Everywhere. to counteract this poison, you pick up um, an imbued mushroom, which turns you into a slubling. Uh, slubling is a grub plus a sloth which is literally like a worm body with a slub sloth head attached to it and it is just as gross and bizarre as it sounds um so the slubling is as a slubling allied with slothosaur uh which puts you in opposition to your team meaning you can be pulled conditioned (gasps) cleaved whatever uh by your teammates of a double reason that I shouldn't be a slubling because I probably have some traits and or sigils that pull conditions from allies, aka Slothosaur. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I have to, I just like, I, I only took, I only became a slubling once, but that thought just occurred to me that if I have as a necromancer ways to take things away from my allies onto myself, that, um, may be dangerous when my yes. ally gets just a little uh, 40 stacks of poison on them. I um I have seen similar things like where the warrior banners will apply to Slothosaur if the warrior gets transformed. <laughs> um, I have seen I've definitely been epidemic. I don't know by who, but I definitely blamed Justin for it. He was like, "It wasn't me," <laughs> and then I also got pulled, and I blamed Justin for it again. He's like, "I'm not even a dragon hunter." <laughs> um, let me. I'm trying to think of other things I've had, but, but definitely, uh, if you have abilities that affect um, your allies, then Slothosaur definitely has the potential to get them. Um, so you make your way from mushroom to mushroom. So and- what if you were a mesmer and you uh, shattered a distortion? You or, could I'm kill not your distortion. own team. Or I guess well, distortion you-, you couldn't give him. You could give him alacrity, though. 
I don't think you, you can use your utility skills when you're a slow. Yeah, it bling. would be you only get um you get an alternate skill set, which is just for eating mushrooms uh, to clear the poison. Um, so I think your passive buffs that would be on, or like anything you've already applied would be out, but you can't apply or like additional anything things. that you have that's traits that sort of automatically okay. happen. So I was yeah. just trying to think of terrifying things that could happen. It's not there as bad are as plenty I of I terrifying <laughs> scenarios without <laughs> you coming up with devious ways to kill me. Um, so you make anyway. your way around the arena, clearing the poison, and Slothosaur and your DPS group are following you. So there's no toughness tank on Slothosaur. He has a fixate mechanic. He'll pick someone out of the group and decide that that is his new target, and he will follow them until he murders them or decides to pick another target. You get a giant uh, purple star over your head, and you are now responsible for moving Slothosaur from point A to point B. And it can be anyone in your group. Um, so you've got your slubling in front and then your fixate tank and then slothosaur and then your DPS group. And you just kind of make this little train that goes choo-choo all the way around the poison cloud. Choo-choo. Uh, cause that's how that goes. And I need something to do to keep myself entertained while I'm raiding for hours and hours and hours every week. Um, so what you're telling me is when you're raiding, it's a combination of God damn it, Justin. And then choo-choo. Yeah. Party time. And then everyone dies. Party yeah, time. A little and bit. Everybody dies. Yeah. Um, uh, he's got a sort of a couple of basic attacks, nothing too threatening, uh, at least until 50%. He breathes a flame jet, which is just very simply right in front of him, easy to sidestep, but it's very, very important to sidestep, yeah, because it'll hurt you many much. Um, he's got a ground pound, which puts um, knockdown circles all around you, and then... Uh, you can dodge out of them or stability them, whatever. It's a really long knockdown if you get caught in it. Like five, like five seconds? seconds? Yeah. yeah. It is oh, so miserable. it's like a risen brute. Yeah, you do not want to get caught in that. Because if you get left behind the choo-choo sloth train, you'll get poisoned to death and everyone will die and it'll be a terrible, terrible time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing he does before 50% is he puts um, a volatile poison thing on someone. It's a it's a debuff over your head, it's on your bar, it's in your chat log, it's on your screen. Um, people are critiquing it, or not critiquing it, it's, it's bad, because it's really hard to see, but it can, that, similar to the fixate, can be applied to any person in the team. And that person is responsible for taking it all the way back to the end of the choo-choo train and shoving it off and leaving that um, on the ground somewhere. Because after five seconds of it being applied to you, it drops on the ground and starts spreading, and it grows and grows and grows for about a minute and a half until it's probably 75 to 80% of the arena. And it deals poison and 6k damage per tick if you're in it. That stuff is nasty, and that will kill groups so fast. So that is important to get to the back uh, as as soon as possible and to move away from it as soon as possible, because it'll keep growing. Um, If you continuously put it at the back of your line, by the time you get around to the start again, you make the full circle, they will be gone. Like, if if you place them properly it won't be an issue, but you have to place and move properly in order to to mitigate those. Um, so in addition to that, every 20% he gets a break bar in which he just falls asleep on you while you're wailing away on him. Uh, which at first sounds like a good thing, but he actually does not move while he's doing that, which makes everything complicated because then the poison tries to catch up with you and murderize you. The poison in that fight is really really awful. I, I cannot express how much I tear my hair out about the poison so far. Um, so you have to break his break bar, and then when you do, he fears everyone. 
Like so, a lot into the poison. Yeah. Like four yeah. seconds? Don't you save yourselves on that. You will cry. Oh, because it all goes to you? Yeah, you'll take everyone's fear and you'll be feared for like 20 well, seconds. And the if poison. you have your own stun break, or if you have your own condition cleanse after that, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, that is true, but it is still terrifying. For a while, I was running. I was running the um, shouts convert conditions, and then also uh, runes of the trooper on mm-hmm. my guardian for that, which would not be a terrible way to get it off of everybody. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's it uh, for Slothosaur's ability. Oh, he actually. Um, there's one more thing. He spawns groups of adds the whole time, and those adds have there's normal slublings, um, and then evolved slublings, and the normal slublings just throw attacks at you that do conditions um but they also hurt quite a bit so as your choo-choo train is going around you're also keeping a reflect wall or projectile blocking skill or some sort of projectile destruction or blocking um sort of on the inside arena the whole way around all the time like you keep chaining those all the way around um that is the most popular strategy i have seen right now um i think people are talking about ways to pull them in and kill them but it seems like they spawn too fast to reliably be able to do that so chaining the reflex seems like the safest way especially because if you start epidemicing you might catch i don't know your friendly or not so friendly slubling that is clearing the poison for you um the evolved ones actually if they hit you they convert your boons to conditions which gets scary real fast um that so, explains it. I was wondering there was there was a point later on in the fight where like all of us I had gone from having basically no conditions the entire fight to having like ten <laughs> and I was really confused what had caused that. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um the other thing is under fifty percent he Slothosaur himself starts doing another attack, which is like he, he plants his feet and then he goes like shakes like a dog getting out of water, but he throws poison and torment everywhere. I think it's like eight stacks per hit if you get hit with that and it's, uh think of it sort of like um actually you know you know how um bloom hunger does his little shake in fractals yeah. and then he throws poison everywhere it's just like that except it applies poison and torment and it hits like three times as hard um <laughs> so that <laughs> that you really have to dodge uh i've seen some very okay so let's uh i want to talk about new raid tactics basically because what kind of what builds are viable from previous raids Yes, that I, that was exactly where I was going with that. Um, there's basically no conditions in Spirit Veil, or not enough to make it worth clearing, other than maybe your dedicated healer cl- cleanses burning off you incidentally once in a while. Um, with Slothosaur specifically, and I, I don't have experience on the other bosses yet, but I'm sure I'll be able to tell you soon, um, you definitely need extreme Condi removal, reflects, and stability or stun breaks of some kind which we haven't seen before. And it's opening up really big opportunities for Necros and Guardians specifically, uh, where there hasn't been before, because Guardians do those three things really well. And Necros are sort of also right there with Corrosive Poison Cloud destroying projectiles and then their ability to pull conditions off teammates and then push them back out at enemies. Yep. The Condi the transfer on Necros is really, really strong with the, the amount of conditions that are being applied. Um, other than that, uh, there's definitely a push away from staff Ellie's and what about a Ventari tablet, uh, Revenant for, uh, for, for, uh, people have definitely been doing that. It's Slothosaur is the hands down the squishiest boss 
so far in in raids and you can really have a heavily like if you like support build this is your time because you can have a very heavily support or defensive based comp and be successful at him because it's all about sustaining and staying alive instead of doing crazy crazy dps yeah, I mean, we got him down to half like pretty easily on one of our first couple tries after we understood the basic core mechanics of the fight, and that was with people dying left and right, which shouldn't be happening. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The only thing that I would say with regard to that is that, I mean, this just sort of goes back to our, back to my constant sore spot about Ascended Gear, is that it's... It can be discouraging, I guess, let's say, if you want to try an interesting new build for Slothosaur, but then feel worried about your gear and have to invest a bunch into it for something that may or may not be valuable in the future and wasn't valuable in the previous wing. Mm -hmm. So I am curious how much that's going to inhibit people from even experimenting on some of these things. Some classes, obviously, it's not going to matter because you'll just be taking different skills. Is um, the consensus in rating that exotics just don't cut it then? It depends highly on your group. Yeah. I would say for most uh for most groups you you should definitely have ascended weaponry and trinkets. Um yeah. I wouldn't I personally would not feel comfortable going in with less than that. Um ascended armor really only makes up about a 2% difference in your build and so it does make a difference. But if you've got the right skills, you're playing your class well, you've got some ascended stuff in your trinkets and weapons, um, and your group is similarly or better geared, then you would be okay. But I with I think I would say with the majority of players' skill levels, um, only the very top tier players or like the sort of like top 10, 20 guilds or whatever would be able to do it in, in full exotics with a whole whole raid team. Yeah, that's um, what and I it would depends, say as well. It, it depends also a little bit on the role you're playing, because like a, a role like Mesmer, or a, so the, the perma, quickness, alacrity, high uptime, whatever, chrono build, is really, what's important is that you can get 100% quickness and high alacrity uptime, and you're putting out your buffs constantly. Um, so it's a very support-based build, and Mesmer by itself is not going to do a lot of damage. I mean, it does some damage, but it's it's not going to be sort of a tipping point in whether you're going to succeed or not, whether your Mesmer is in Exotic Berserker's gear or Ascended Berserker's gear. Now, if... Because it's also a little bit... like Things like boon duration, if you want to have more boon duration and there's just plain and simple more stats on Ascended gear, that's where it gets a little bit weird for support builds. But generally, I would say like Druids, Chronomancers... Um, Revenant somewhat, but you also really want ascended weapons on a Revenant. Um, you could probably get away with having exotic armor. Uh, Druids and Chronomancers probably exotic weapons, but I would even prefer that you didn't have that or you had ascended ones. And then any pure or any like high DPS role, you really should have ascended gear. Yep. 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 So even. Even with the Chrono Tank or a, a Chronomancer that's trying to uh, extend conditions, they don't necessarily need the Ascended, you think? Or you think if they're trying to extend that conditions, boons, you think that they're going to uh, be okay without Ascended? 
Um, I would have to. I would have to. Yeah, they would be better with ascended. Yeah, that is a that is a good answer because I would have to look at it specifically. Um, and I don't know the numbers offhand because that's not a build I'm as familiar with playing. But I, yeah, it would be better with ascended. (laughs) And then vipers is just the go-to for any condition builds right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it depends. Like I could really talk your ear off about it. I'm not. I'm not sure it's. Uh, ideal for the podcast because it, it's very in-depth technical about rating. Mm. Um, but it depends on your class, what you're playing, and whether they have enough traits and food and uh, basically if you can hit 100% condition duration um, especially on your key conditions and that'll vary depending on what you're playing. Like on a necromancer it would be bleeding and chill and if you're on an NG it would be like bleeding and burning. Um, if you can hit 100% duration on those, then the rest of yours, uh, you should feel free to switch to Sinister. But if you can't hit 100 duration on... If you're not hitting 100% Condi duration, then you have to, you really, really should have more Condi duration. Yep. So anyway, um, yeah, that's so Spirit covered pretty much the mechanics of the raid. Um, a few thoughts, I guess, uh, after, aside from that. I think that everybody in our group was having trouble with the tell on the poison bomb. You didn't talk about that, right? Uh, a little bit, but not too much. Sort of. Yeah, just just like it's green on green. It's yeah. it's a green tell over your head when everything in the room is green, and a lot of players are having trouble with that. Um, what do you what do you think about not having a dedicated tank role? And by that, I mean based on gear. So. I'm sort of of two minds about that. It doesn't matter to me so much that there's not an, a tank. Because I think um, switching the aggro and still being able to move him is one of the sort of hallmark mechanics of the fight that makes it really interesting. Because mm-hmm. if, say, you only had one ever, one ever slubling who was just in charge of clearing mushrooms the whole time, well, that would be incredibly boring, uh, it would be really easy. And if you had one tank the whole time and one slubling, and you always knew the pace at which to move the sloth and the slubling, then it would be really easy. And there's no sort of, like, you would just constantly be moving in a circle. But if you've got it moving between um, different people, then you sort of have to balance um, how you're moving him a little bit better. And so that's sort of the challenge of the fight, is is partially moving him out of the bad. Um the the major problem I have with Arena Net seeming to like we've now had uh, so including the three bosses from Spirit Bale and Slothosaur, I don't know what the other two bosses are or I don't know in depth how they work yet in Salvation Pass. We've had two bosses that require tanks and two that don't. The major issue I have with not requiring a tank is you have now asked someone to acquire toughness gear, which means that if you have a tank in one encounter and don't have a tank in the neck, that person is now responsible for at least two sets of trinkets um, and maybe two sets of gear, depending on how how much toughness you have your tank, where you probably probably for successful attempts shouldn't have more than trinkets, I would say. I, I wouldn't expect um, tanks to have more than sort of 1,400 toughness um, if they were tanking, so that that is perfectly doable with trinkets and food. But it still means that someone is juggling that extra gear set and maybe it's possible and easy for them to do it and maybe it's not but so that 
you know, someone's got an extra set of gear to be responsible for in terms of money and time invested in acquiring that. So that yeah. that that is my my bugbear with uh, tanking or not tanking. Not that I have any problem with the mechanic of not tanking. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we've sort of talked about, perhaps indirectly or just in regards to fears or thoughts about further raiding. We talked about that a bit, I think, in in Vale or Spirit Vale, is mm-hmm. that uh, gear acquisition is tedious and expensive and uh yeah i mean like you you are expected to be investing quite a bit into it and especially with the rewards what they are which is to say um not incredibly you're not really getting much of a return on it other than like the satisfaction that you could beat the content then to also have some of those roles sort of disappear in between raids or in between encounters Mm -hmm. is um you know to use my favorite pet word frustrating Especially sort of feeling that way slash feeling sort of guilty as a necromancer sometimes where in Spirit Veil, it's like on Veil Guardian, there really wasn't anything that I was contributing. Like the the group would have been better off with a faster DPS class, basically. But then up comes Gorsival and Sabatha and those, those epidemic bombs are huge. And then here it's like the condition cleanses are good. So I've invested pretty much everything that I have into my Necromancer as as a raiding force, but I have tank gear because that's what I was doing on Veil Guardian, and I have Zerker gear because that's what I was doing for Fractals before raiding even came out, and then I have Viper's gear for actually doing DPS, and then, you know, I, I don't know, it's... Um, it, it can be costly, and when you have entire roles appearing out of nowhere, like healer and tank that didn't used to exist in the game, and or disappearing, yeah, it can be. It's it's tough. It's a tough spot because yeah. By the same token, you don't want to necessarily constrain them to say like it's never existed before, so we don't ever want you to make it, <laughs> like because that's also very stifling of design. But uh, I I don't have a good solution really, other than fix gearing. If you listen to the podcast, you know how we feel about Ascended Armor, and this just amplifies those woes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I a lot, of, a lot of the people that I know that are doing raids a lot more are basically broke from trying to fill multiple roles to help their guilds or their teammates, and that sucks. That's, you know, yeah, but... Aside, yeah, I, I think I think you laid it out pretty well, though. I think I think you're right. Like, the way that the encounter is designed, it would be a lot more trivial if you could just assign those roles. And I actually, in many ways, like the distribution of responsibility that everybody has to be on their toes for it. But in a mm-hmm. sense, like once everybody gets that down, it'll probably be easier to execute week by week because, like you said, it's sort of... You know, he's very squishy, and if everybody knows what they're doing, you're not going to be having deaths all the time, and you're not going to be getting weird poison patterns, and you're not, you know... All those things will go away once people do know what they're doing. So, yeah, I I think I like that idea. The idea of having fight roles, but not necessarily gear roles, is much more appealing overall. But I like the mix, personally. I like. I think it it is a nice compliment to Veil Guardian, but I also like Veil Guardian for what it is. Yeah, 
I think this is a much more friendly encounter for a first encounter. <laughs> I I could be wrong, but uh um yeah, I guess to some extent I would say that. I mean, I'm going to be teaching groups this weekend for the first time Sothosaur, which yeah. will be interesting to see how they sort of react to it. Um my gut instinct as a raid leader is it is very, you know, as much as we've said um on Veil Guardian, like, there are compounding issues, and then it all, it all goes to shit, basically. Um, yeah. There is very clearly a spot to stand and a spot not to stand on Veil Guardian, whereas in Slothosaur, it's are we moving fast enough, are we not moving fast enough? And until you understand that, it seems a little bit haphazard and out of place. And obviously, you don't stand in the poison. That's the, um, that, that is an obvious place not to stand. But how, like, how fast... Yeah, I think... It's just sort of unclear exactly how he's supposed to be moving, and that is harder to illustrate to people than stand in the green and don't stand in the red, you know? Yeah, it's sort of a, it's sort of interesting in that it's sort of the opposite, where Veil Guardian, like you said, there's very obvious places that you are supposed to be, but it's very frequently difficult to tell exactly what caused an eventual meltdown because like you said, compounding issues and sometimes the actual fail state happens farther enough down the line that you don't know exactly what got you there. You just mm -hmm. see that you're in a death spiral. Whereas in this one, it's going to be harder for people to pick up right off the bat, probably for exactly those reasons that everybody has to be on their toes. Everybody has to understand how to be, well, maybe not everybody has to understand how to be a slubbling, but everybody has to understand the taking aggro symbol and how you want to lead them. And everybody has to understand the poison symbol and where you want to drop it and all those types of things. But it is also inverted from Veil Guardian in that it's usually pretty obvious exactly what is going wrong. Like, we're not moving fast enough. Or, you know, we're... Our, our poisons are getting dropped too close to the center of the room. And maybe you don't know exactly who, you know, didn't perform adequately, but the tell of exactly what went wrong is much more obvious. And I think that that's similar to Gorsival in many ways, where it's like, you know, we just need more DPS, or we need to kill the walls faster, or, you know, or whatever. Our, our split phases are going wrong. Like, in... In some of these fights, you don't necessarily know the individual who's having a problem, but you you can tell what is wrong in the fight. And I think I think Veil vale Guardian that was not the case as much um, sometimes. And so I am hoping that it'll be easier to improve as a group, even though it may be harder to learn at the very start. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think and only time will tell on that how uh, different strategies evolve because we've we've currently got just the sort of uh top tier progression guilds through it and the people like not not the weekend warriors like i'm sure there'll be more groups that get through it on the weekend that can only play on the weekend for whatever reason and um we we're just we're just not far enough into it yet to really say for certainty how things are going to play out i think yeah but having have you watched the actual victory videos the kill videos a couple of them yeah i think i was sort of heartened by the fact that they weren't really doing anything weird like they were they were just doing the normal <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they weren't they weren't doing like a skip phase or like Oh yeah, no no, uh, I, I know exactly what you mean. You know, like in in Veil Guardian, I know that some groups will, you know, there's the go back and forth on the first phase to save yourself a little bit of time or there's some groups that even go counterclockwise and back and forth on that first phase uh to save some time also and like there's yeah, there's just so many 
little weird things you can do or phasing Gorsival, you know, um, to just not go to the wall and to just to just DPS him through his next phase. Like mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of tricks that go into a lot of those raid wing one fights and the the kills that I mean and maybe more will develop, but the kills that we're seeing right now are pretty much just do the mechanics as you know they're intended to be done and and just do it. Like which is I don't know, I that that seems nice to me. Like it doesn't it doesn't make me feel like we're gonna be settling for the basic build. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely know what you mean. I think more stuff will more like different tips and tricks will come out eventually, but I I'm not sure for Slothosaur because there's only so much floor you can clear and there's not really any break bar. Well, he has a break bar, but not breaking it will kill you, so I like I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't immediately see any uh any reason why strategies will change. Right. Yeah. So is there anything else we want to talk about with Slothosaur? Um, there is an achievement with it that nobody really understands yet, but it looks interesting. When you, <laughs> wa- when you walk up to him, there's a golden slubling, and you can shoot away, and then a golden mushroom will appear in the middle of the arena. Um, but obviously we're still learning, and we haven't really had any chance to go and eat it and see what happens, or uh, attempted to with any sort of seriousness. But, um... There are seemingly like secondary difficulty achievements for each of the bosses, um, and uh, achievements for completing all three of them. I guess that's like there's no eternal from this wing. Essentially, there's no reward for killing all all three bosses with everyone alive. Like there is, there's just secondary objectives for each boss, um, and a substantial amount of achievement points for each of them. Each of the achievements itself is worth fifteen, and completing all three is worth another fifteen. Uh, but the point that I wanted to make, and that is a little bit annoying to me, is that they have mastery points associated with them, which the achievements do the the optional difficulty ones. So, like they require mastery points to oh, do, no, no, no. or they like give they, you mastery they points. award you mastery points. Okay, which isn't the worst thing. Um, it's just a little bit weird to me, and. We brought this up a dozen times with mastery points. So I don't want to get into it too much, but I don't understand how they determine which what achievements deserve a mastery point and which ones don't. Um, ah, and it seems strange to me that these ones are so difficult and yet award a mastery point. So I don't mind having mastery points for more difficult achievements, but um, if you balance masteries around how many mastery points exist and some of those are those really high-end nasty ones then you might run into a problem where you can't get the mastery points that you need because they are not obtainable to you for financial or difficulty reasons and it, mm-hmm. it's not like i'm not entirely certain <laughs> that like people not being able to get these three mastery points will be ever a point of contention but it just sort of made me think about how they're determining which ones are worthy of a mastery point and which ones aren't because i i tend to feel like the people the kind of people who are going to acquire those achievements are the ones who don't need mastery points because they will have them from other stuff you know it's I, the well, uh, it's the legend of zelda syndrome where you've got uh, the most powerful sword in the game but the people with a skill level to get it don't need the most powerful sword in the game mm. 
I would contend, though, that I think, I mean, so difficulty aside, just, just the fact that they have them tied to these raid achievements is I'm glad that they are adding them because of the fact that the raid added a new mastery that costs three three mastery points mm-hmm. on top of the already sort of core ones. And so I I feel like that also sort of a sets up a nice idea that if they're going to add new masteries, they will also add new mastery points in associated content, and you don't need to get those specific mastery points for it, but they sort of come in a pack. They don't assume that you got yeah. them from somewhere else. Actually, that, and... that is a really good point, because the, the new mastery requires three mastery points, um, and I think there are five or six mastery points that you can get now in Salvation Pass alone, which um, gives you some options in how to acquire those. I hadn't thought about it that way. Right, and also, like, presumably in the future, you know, maybe if they... And and we don't know if they're going to add any masteries via Living Story, but if they do, that would also sort of set a precedent of, like, well, also some more mastery points from Living Story achievements. And, you know, if... You know, you you don't... the, The fact that they don't have to come from the raid ones, but that the raid introduces more while at the same time introducing another sync for them. Like, if you're not gonna be a raider... Um, then then both of those are sort of irrelevant to you. And if you are a raider, then you may very well actually end up with a surplus of mastery points. Um, or at least, at, at worst, only have to do a couple of them to, to get them. But I don't think you're going to have a situation where they added mastery points in the raid, and then they assume that you got those as extras for something in the future, where they would add a new mastery but no mastery points. At least that would be my hope. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that doesn't address what you were talking about with, like, <laughs> the difficulty of acquiring a mastery point for a given achievement. Uh, I haven't looked at what what the mastery points are awarded for in Salvation Pass, but um, I think it's at least good that they, you know, added added points with the new masteries. So, yay, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, I just hadn't thought about it that way. And it's entirely possible, by the way, I might be totally biased on this, because like, my long-term goal was to get all the mastery points, and up till now it had seemed like a feasible thing. Mostly because I hate the little green stars on my achievement panel, and they're really annoying to me, and I was kind of a completionist, so I was like, yeah, I'll just sort of gradually work on those, and then that'll get rid of my bugbear and give me a long-term goal, and it'll be great. But uh, I honestly don't know how much... I will be able to accomplish that. Um, I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks, depending on how difficult they are and what I can reasonably expect of my groups. But I, I'm i still working on Spirit Veil because I've killed Sabatha twice, but I've not gotten the Eternal, which I, I ruined it for myself. I died with like six seconds left to go on Sabbath the first time, otherwise I would have gotten it. Um, and uh, we haven't killed Sabbath as a guild, so we're still sort of working Sabbatha and Spirit Veil um, in Relics for at least one group, but um, I don't know if we'll ever get around to doing the the harder difficulty ones for Salvation Pass. Yeah, that's... Yeah, fair. I think that's about time to start moving into the end segments, wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. All right, well, would you like to move us into CastCast? Uh, hello and welcome to Cast Cast, the podcast within the podcast, about the cast for the podcast, and stop cast of other podcasts this week on Cast Cast. 
I was really impressed with that because I'm also starting to get very hungry. Um, Hunter did a really excellent AMA summary on his his blog where he broke broke down specific quotes and talked about them. Um, sort of similar how we did in the beginning of the episode, but obviously he's got different perspectives and, and pulls out different ones that might be worth looking at. Um, and then the other thing is we've got something really cool coming up for you guys uh, here on our podcast feed. So coming soon will be um, a base, well, it's a pen and paper game uh, played by some of us from the podcast, some of us, um, many of us you've heard over the years. Um, we've got Alona stepping in from Guild Wars Reporter, and it has been a lot of fun to record. It is, it will be coming on this podcast feed, but it will not be replacing the podcast proper. So you'll just be getting extra stuff on this every once in a while. I know we it's hope you have as much fun listening. Yeah, I know it's going to be some people's thing and not other people's thing, and that's fine if you don't like it. Um, if we end up, we have had so much fun with it that I can imagine it becoming a longer series. Um, and if we go that route, we will let you know and look at it. Um, and if it becomes meantime, a thing, there's opportunity for um, others to join in. And if you may be interested in that, um, let us know, and that's a possibility. Yeah, we've got some we've got some very cool ideas for that. Um, so in a few seconds here, you'll hear Eric describing and sort of giving a teaser for that because he's setting up that project. That's all I've got. Hey, this is Shongaku. Relics of War has a new show coming your way. It is set in the Guild Wars universe. It is going to be a pen and paper game that we are playing using a homebrew system that I created. Let's kick this fungal wall. I'll be playing the Dungeon Master, and the roles of the characters will be played by people you know from the Relics of Ore podcast, including Kate, a.k.a. Spirit. Hubert is a Tengu. He looks like a great horned owl. He is from the Dominion of Winds, but he was kicked out for his compulsion to make really, really awful bird puns. And Evie. Evenus. Or Evie grew up in the far northern Shiver Peaks. He was a child when Big Battle Jormag decided to form the Ice Apocalypse. His father died. His mother ended up becoming an agent for the Order of Whispers. Christian, also known as Sea Squirrel Run. My character is an average sized Norn. He's bald and clean shaven, which makes it a little unusual. And his name is Nima the Loud. Also, Vrabin, also known in the real world as Brandon. My character is a Kodan named Islim Longtreader. That is his name after he left his uh, sanctuary. He left it before the rise of Chormag. He's on a journey of sorts that he doesn't like to talk about when he's around other Kodan and still keeps it pretty close to the chest when he's around the other races. Last but not least, dropping by from the Guild Wars Reporter podcast is our good friend Alona. My character is human from Divinity's Reach, but lives mostly in Lion's Arch, halfway between, you know, splits time between the two. His name is Alam Horan, and he is a mesmer. He likes the ladies, but we'll talk to almost anyone. In their first adventure, things will be carried. Well, Hubert looks pretty strong. He can handle it. Uh, Hubert puffs up his feathers. An adventurer will face a unfavorable situation. I just clicked what you've done in terms of the situation we're in, and I hate you. Players will face failure. Oh my god. 
Ooh, that's a rough one. So uh, for those of you listening, that was a critical failure. As far as you can tell, this is the most structurally sound deep you have ever seen. Will our team from Relics of Ore succeed in their mission or fail? Find out in the very first episode of Role Players called Relics of Ore and the Deep. Mitfuls of awesome dice. Alrighty. Well, I'm excited to listen to it because I was and probably am going to continue to be unable to join in on that. So I get to hear it for the first time as well at some point, which should be pretty fun. Uh, the idea is sound and pretty funny, and you guys are all great, wonderful people, so I'm sure it's a blast. So anyway, we are clocking in at a fairly standard long episode for us. So if you've made it this long, thank you for listening to us and we will be back next week. Fingers crossed, maybe with a with a Slothosaur kill, and if not, at least hopefully a little bit more perspective and progress on it. Plus, whoever knows, whatever, any other patches come out, all that jazz. So, thanks for joining us uh, to, again tonight, Vrabin. Thanks. And obviously, you as well, Spirit. And Aw, thank we'll you. Be back next week. This has been another episode of Relics of Ore. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website and forums at relicsofore.com, email us at relicsofore at gmail.com, or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching Relics of ORR. If you'd like to join us in-game, you can send a whisper or in-game mail to Spiritface, or drop us a note on Twitter or our website and say hi. Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve.